Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, Doug Hyde joins me to break down what's gone wrong with the Patriots and Mac Jones and what they can do to fix it next offseason, including a group of coaches they could hire that I think will make Patriots fans mad. Plus, we will break down the Pro Bowl and the players who were snubbed from this year's Pro Bowl. But first, I want to tell you about another podcast, which is now available twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays, The Mina Kime Show, featuring Lenny, a podcast hosted by ESPN NFL analyst Mina. Oh, I know Mina Kimes. I forgot. Of course, I know Mina Kimes. Mina Kimes is a friend of our show, a friend of mine. Of course, you're listening to Mina Kimes already. But if you're not for some crazy reason, Mina Kimes is hosting the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny twice a week during the season here. She's joined on Tuesdays by another friend of ours, Dominique Foxworth. And then later in the week, she's joined by different expert guests to preview the most intriguing games. That is the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny. Listen wherever you are listening to this podcast. All right, joining me now here as promised on the Bill Barnwell show, not only a fine NFL reporter, but also the host of the Patch Chat podcast with Michael F. Hurley. It's my friend, Doug Kyed. Doug, what's up? Bill, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. We have a lot of snubs to get to. I'm excited to finally uh, right the wrongs the NFL did and get these guys not actual Pro Bowl appearances, but fake Pro Bowl appearances here on the Bill Barnwell Show. But I wanted to have you on because there's a situation happening with the Patriots that sort of came to a head on that now infamous final play of the game against the Raiders. I know that's overshadowed a lot of what happened before that, but this was not the prettiest game for Mac Jones. There were some drops, to be fair, certainly in that game. But Mac Jones, very unimpressive numbers against the league's worst pass defense by DVOA. And this has been an ongoing issue for the Patriots and offense for weeks, if not months. So I wanted to have you on to try and get a sense of the Mac Jones situation in New England, both in terms of what's missing, what's going wrong, and also what the Patriots should do to solve it, whether it's in the regular season now or uh, in the offseason to come. So let's let's sort of start with the beginning with this Mac Jones situation and, and what's gone wrong here in New England. Would you say it's fair to suggest that we should have seen this coming, given the coaching personnel they had? Yes, I do think that's fair. I, I'd say that I have to look back to what exactly I said before the season, but mm -hmm. I expected some improvement uh, out of most of the last year's rookie quarterbacks heading into this year. And obviously we haven't seen a whole lot of improvement from Zach Wilson, but we have from Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, we have from Justin Fields, but I believe I said before the season that if anyone was going to regress, mm -hmm. it might be Mac Jones simply because he was so efficient last year. He was the best rookie quarterback last year. He didn't necessarily have the best tools of the quarterbacks in his draft class. But the major factor there was the fact that he lost Josh McDaniels, who you know was one of the best offensive coordinators in the NFL for 20 years or so. Mm -hmm. And he was replaced by these unknowns in Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. And 
obviously there was a possibility that this could have gone well for the Patriots this season mm-hmm. um, because Bill Belichick still running the show. He still knows what he's doing. Um, but obviously there was also a lot of fear about what this offense would look like with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. The fact that they were changing things, the fact that in the spring and summer, the offense did not look good. They looked disjointed. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was a distinct possibility that we would see some regression from Mac Jones. I wasn't necessarily expecting this much regression, though, and I figured that by the second half of the season, we'd probably be seeing the Mac Jones that we saw last year. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is a dumb question because Bill Belichick is smart and generally does smart things, but why didn't he see this coming? Like, like why, why do you think he headed into this season of his own volition with two guys who have been defensive and mostly special teams coaches. I think Joe Judge did coach the offense, did coach some element of the offense for a little bit, correct? Yes, he was a wide receivers coach for one year, and I believe that Matt Patricia was like an assistant offensive line coach in like 2004 or something. But yes, primarily defense for Patricia, special teams for Judge. Right, so why did Bill Belichick go into the season with these guys in these roles as sort of the focal voices on the offensive side of the ball and think it was going to work. It, it it really is the million dollar question. And I think that to some degree, I obviously he had a lot of faith in Matt Patricia. Um, you know, I had even heard from obviously primarily what you've heard out of, uh, out of Detroit with Matt Patricia is that players didn't necessarily like Matt Patricia that much, but I talked to Jamal Agnew who was with Matt Patricia in Detroit And he thought that Matt Patricia could coach any position on a football field. Mm -hmm. And I think that Bill Belichick probably thought the same thing of Matt Patricia, that he could handle coaching the offensive line and be the offensive play caller and, you know, head up the offense with Joe Judge and Bill Belichick and all these Mm -hmm. things. And I think that, you know, maybe maybe Bill Belichick thought that coaching offense was easier than it is. (laughs) And I mean, it sounds kind of absurd to say that, but. Bill Belichick kind of ran the offense at times in Cleveland, but that was also 30 years ago. And a lot has changed in the NFL over the last 30 years. And I think that in some ways with Josh McDaniels running the offense, Bill Belichick had a little bit more of a hands-off approach with it and just kind of let Josh McDaniels be the head coach of the offense while Bill Belichick focused a lot of his attention on the defense. I also think that he thought that they could simplify the offense quite a bit and that that would help Mac Jones, and that would help John Smith. That would help Nelson Nelson Aguilar, these guys that they invested a lot in last season. So I think to some degree, Bill Belichick probably thought that this might wind up being a net positive for the offense, that it wouldn't be as complex as it was with Josh McDaniels. And very clearly at this point, we know that that is not the case. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it certainly it feels like it would have been tough to make a change once the season began. Um they're kind of stuck. Like there's no, they're not going to bring in a new offensive coordinator in week nine, install a new offense, and have that be functional. It's just going to be a different kind of disaster. But I I don't I don't like being in the business of saying, oh, Bill Belichick did this thing that's stupid, and we all knew it, and he should have known better because he knows a lot. Um, and that's why I find this such a weird situation. Typically. When Bill Belichick does something that's that's uncommon or atypical, it usually, not always, but usually works in his favor. And, and like you said, I mean, this was something that was an issue in the spring 
and the summer. I know there was concerns about the running game moving to more of a zone-based running game. Um, I know there were – it didn't always look fluid on offense, but in, in terms of the issues from what you've seen watching the Patriots closely, if you had to throw percentages on it, how much of it is – the the coaching not having the players in the right places or doing the right things or how much of it do you think is the players struggling to execute at a nfl level that's a really tough question i would actually you know i I, for for this entire season i did not think things were going to go well with matt patricia i've been one of his biggest critics Mm -hmm. that being said i do think that probably most of the blame would go on the execution of the players. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, I mean, I don't think that, I, I think that Matt Patricia is too conservative. I don't think that he necessarily has like a plan for the plays that he's calling. I don't think that there's necessarily a, a script for what he's doing, but I think that a lot of the issues have fallen on drops. They've fallen on, you know, Mac Jones being inaccurate, Mac Jones making turnovers. Um, and, obviously there's also major issues with play calling um like i said with script and and wide receiver spacing and timing in the offense mm-hmm. but that being said even though i do think that maybe most of the blame would go on players and execution i think that still goes back to coaching yeah, yeah. and that these guys are not being coached up well enough during the week leading up into games and like obviously everyone wants to talk about the the lateral play at the end of that game against the Raiders and it's like an illustration of how broken the Patriots offense is but Mm -hmm. like I feel like that's an opportunity and and in the past someone on the Patriots side would have said like our number one priority on this play is to not turn the ball over we cannot turn the ball over here we have to get to overtime if you wind up scoring on this play great but we cannot turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, first of all, they should have just kneeled on the ball. Yes. But if they're going to run the draw play, then no matter what, do not turn the ball over. And I mean, even with all that being like, not to get so far into this right away, but with Ramondre Stevenson, with his lateral back to Jacoby Myers, I can mm-hmm. almost understand his thinking on that one because he had already picked up more yards than you would have expected on that draw play. Mm-hmm. A lot of Raiders defenders were all bunched around him because they were trying to bring him down. And I do think there might have been an opportunity there to get the ball in a playmaker's hands at that point, And maybe he could carry it on for the rest of the way. So, but the, the blame still goes on Ramondre Stevenson because I think that him lateraling the ball mm-hmm. back to Jacoby Myers put the thought in Jacoby Myers' head of, okay, it's a lateral play. We have to make something happen. I'm going to huck the ball 20 yards away to Mac Jones. So clearly there's still some blame on Ramondre Stevenson. But yeah, going back to the overall point, like you need to tell players not to turn over the ball there. Yes. And that is exactly what they did. It was the worst possible thing they could have done. Do you think, I know that you were watching this team as a fan, also covering it as an analyst and, and covering it from the national perspective. Is that the most embarrassing thing that's happened during the Belichick era? Yeah, I think so. I mean... Worse than the Dolphins play? I think it is. And I forgot who made this point, um, but I agree with it. In that on the Dolphins play, at least it was the Dolphins offense against the Patriots defense. Like, mm-hmm. like offensive players are capable of scoring. Like, there's always a chance on offense that you're going to score a touchdown in any situation. Like, there has to be something catastrophic that happens on a play for the defense to score, especially on the final play of the game 
uh, in that situation with a score tied Patriots were in much better shape than the Raiders in that second half. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was the most shocking thing that I've seen uh, on a field for the Patriots, the most embarrassing. Um, and yeah, it's, it, I mean, even just the reaction after the game, I, I, I give a lot of credit to Ramondre Stevenson and Jacoby Myers for owning it. Even Mac mm-hmm. Jones owned it for not mm-hmm. being able to tackle Chandler Jones. <laughs> and I mean, like there's not much Mac Jones could have done there. Like, I would say that if he could have done it over again, maybe just like like stick out his leg and try to trip Chandler Jones, like like get the penalty. Who cares? Just mm-hmm. don't let him score there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I mean, like with Bill Belichick, even after the game, he he wouldn't specify. He just said like mistakes were made. I feel like he didn't necessarily own it as much as maybe he could have. Mm-hmm. It was just like I don't know. I mean, it it this is this is an absolutely bizarre Patriots season, and. I, I think that like major changes, one major change that has to happen on offense, at least this offseason. Okay. So let's touch on that from the perspective of the coaching staff. When I look at this staff, the thing that I've said in the past that I notice is so many of the people on this Patriots coaching staff are people Bill Belichick already knows. Like they're people who played for Bill Belichick or people who have coached for Bill Belichick in the past or people who are literally related to Bill Belichick because they're his children. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. Bill Belichick, you know, has vetted all these people. Uh, You know, he has a diverse staff. He has a staff that's done very good work on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Why do you think Bill Belichick does not have more voices from outside the building? And and when they they do make a hire this offseason, presumably – I'm assuming you're alluding to a hire on the offensive side of the ball. Do you think it will be someone who is maybe less familiar to Belichick than the people on this current staff? I think that this structure has worked so well for Bill Belichick over the last 20 plus years of you bring in a 23 year old coaching assistant. He works his way up through the ranks and then that's how you get, you know, Brian Flores. That's how you get, um, Josh McDaniels and and all of these coaches who have gone on to have success within the Patriots organization. So I actually don't fully blame Bill Belichick for trying to continue to do that by continuing to keep the voices within uh, Gillette Stadium, mm-hmm. you know, keep bringing in guys that he knows, guys who have worked here before because it's worked. But I do think that he probably could have planned out things a little bit better by yes. not allowing the majority of his offensive staff to either retire or go to the Raiders this off season mm-hmm. and think that he could keep things going with Matt Patricia and Joe judge just simply because they obviously didn't have the experience. And I, I still question whether or not he will bring in an outside voice, like a, like a Frank Reich type or so like mm-hmm. a cliff Kings bear, if he gets fired, something like that, just because but he, even he is a former Patriot though. True. Yeah. I guess like that at least would be a former Patriot, like yes. someone who's like completely out of the, the Patriots building. I just, I don't see it. I, maybe it happens. If it does, I'll be the first person to applaud Bill Belichick for doing mm-hmm. it, but I just can't see it happening because of the history of what Bill Belichick has done. And I'll even say this, like, Bill Belichick does surprise people sometimes. He had never taken a wide receiver in the first round before he took Nikhil Harry. He had never spent the way in free agency uh, before the 2021 class. And like to Bill Belichick's credit, like those things didn't go well. So I can I can kind of see him sticking to his guns and and wanting to to keep things the way that they are. But I also do think that there's a possibility that he could still fill out the offensive coaching staff with guys that he's familiar with. Mm-hmm. And Bill O'Brien yep. uh, could be available from Alabama. And 
I think that even then, though, if you get Bill O'Brien, I think you still actually also need to add an experienced quarterbacks coach behind Bill O'Brien, or at least an ascending coach who you Mm -hmm. think that could potentially take over the offense in 2024. Because if Bill Bill O'Brien takes like the 31st ranked offense and turns them into a top 10 unit, turns around Mm -hmm. Mac Jones career, everything like that. I think that Bill O'Brien could then become a hot coaching candidate in the NFL or in college. So like, I know that this is probably not a name that Patriots fans or NFL fans will want to hear, but like, Bring in Bill O'Brien as the offensive coordinator and bring in Adam Gase as the off- as the quarterback's <laughs> coach. Or like bring in someone who you think could maybe run that offense and has experience behind Bill O'Brien. Oh, people are going to be so mad at you for saying Bill <laughs> O'Brien and Adam Gase, but you're right though. Like It's better than the current situation. It is. It is. But those, those names are not exactly <laughs> the names people think of when they think wild NFL success. Um, but you're right, though. I mean, O'Brien seems to me like the obvious candidate and has been for a while now. But like you said, I think you can't count on having him here for as long as Josh McDaniels was in New England. And I think, you know, there were a, a several factors. Certainly McDaniels deciding not to take the Colts job was one. Um, the sort of the issue, like the reputation hanging over his head after the first few years when he came back from Denver and St. Louis. Um, But they were lucky to have Josh McDaniels as the OC for so long. It's pretty rare to have a, a coach who has a significant role like that, you know, outside of someone like a Pete Carmichael, for example, where he's just the, the number two guy under Sean Payton and Sean Payton's really running a lot of things on offense. Like Belichick's had a role in the offense, but McDaniels has been, kind of the the lead voice in a lot of ways on offense for for so long and they had him here for a long time and did not have either did not have a plan when he left or decided to do him a solid by letting a lot of the staff leave along with him when McDaniels did finally go to the Raiders and it, they also like not only having Josh McDaniels for so long but I know that people might laugh about this, but like even having Nick Casario in in New England for so long, because he helped on offense, having Ernie Adams in the booth, helping out with Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniel certainly helped as well. So you lose all three of those guys in like, you know, one or two years and yeah, your offense is going to falter, but I mean, 1000%, they should have had a better plan in place. And, you know, even just looking at, the offensive line in itself. The offensive line has taken a massive step back this season, despite the fact that they've got very talented players uh, to, to fill a lot of those pieces. And they allowed Carmen Brasillo to leave for the Raiders, despite mm-hmm. the fact that he had one year left on his contract because they wanted Matt Patricia to take over the offensive line. But I I feel like giving someone like, I, I think that maybe Matt Patricia would have had success if he had just been the offensive line coach. He might have been having more uh, success if he was just the offensive play caller. But handing him those two roles, which no one else in the NFL does, and expecting him to take on both despite having very little experience, uh, it was just, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously Bill Belichick thinks extremely highly of Matt Patricia to think that he could have done all of that. And also very clearly, he probably shouldn't have had that much faith in, in Matt Patricia. Certainly. Um, it seems like that has not been warranted so far this season. I mean, this was to me, it, it was, I don't know if it's the worst game of the year for the offense, even before the final play, they did score 17 points. The The Patriots did chip in with a a defensive touchdown from Kyle Duggar on that screen that was picked off. But 
this was pretty ugly. I mean, the numbers for Mac Jones, like I said, there were some drops, but 13 of 31 for 112 yards against the literal dead last defense by DVOA in football. Um, is there any hope that the offense improves between now and the end of the year as the Patriots try and compete for a playoff berth? You know, it's funny because I actually thought that Mac Jones, at least, was improving before this game. Yeah. Um, he'd had some pretty decent performances against the Vikings, uh, against the Cardinals. They didn't do much of anything against the Buffalo Bills. But, mm -hmm. I mean, it's tough because to start off the year, they were aggressive and Mac Jones was turning the ball over too much. Then he gets hurt. Bailey Zappi comes in, does what he does for a couple of games. And, you know, it wasn't wasn't good in week seven against Chicago. So it was an easy decision to go back to Mac Jones. But then they just got so conservative that they could barely even move the ball on offense. And now they're kind of trying to find a balance between that with being conservative, throwing a lot of screens, throwing a lot of short passes. But now when they're trying to open the offense up a little bit is when Mac Jones was missing on a lot of his throws. I will say that, you know, it it was efficient, like raw number wise, probably Mac Jones worst game of his career. I mean, he only mm -hmm. completed what 41% of his passes, something like that. Mm -hmm. But I will say that at least on his misses, they weren't they weren't interceptions. He wasn't, he wasn't turning the ball over. He wasn't putting the ball in harm's way. And obviously that's, that's very faint praise to have sure. for him. Um, but that is better than early in the season when it seemed like he was either making a fantastic throw or, or an interception. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that what you just need to see is improvement from Mac Jones over the last three weeks, but it just seems like there's major dysfunction even just within the offense of Mac Jones constantly yelling at coaches, yelling at players. Like there was a moment um, against the Raiders when I think it was Ramondre Stevenson who ran the wrong route near the goal line. Mm -hmm. And Mac Jones just like, like flipped out on him on the field. He was like screaming at him on the field. It's like, dude, like Ramondre Stevenson is probably the best player on this offense. <laughs> like without Ramondre Stevenson, this offense is not where it's at right now. Yes. And like Mac did not play well in that game. So no. I can understand yelling at Matt Patricia, even though that's not necessarily the Patriot way. But like when you're screaming at the best players on your team, like it might be a, a time to, to step back and, and kind of reassess things a little bit. And I can understand Mac Jones frustration. I think that a lot of people in, within that organization player wise didn't have faith in what was going to happen on offense this season. And then it's only gotten worse as the season's gone along. So I can understand the frustration, but that's why I said, like if they keep Matt Patricia as the offensive play caller, mm -hmm. then they probably need to find a different quarterback. Or if they're going to keep Mac Jones, they're going to need to find a different offensive play caller. Like mm -hmm. one of those two things has to happen this off season, because I, I just can't foresee this continuing into 2023. Yeah. I mean, to your point, 15 turnovers, in the first seven weeks of the year, uh, finishing up with that Bears game where they had four, um, they go three and four in those games. Last seven weeks, only four turnovers. So definitely mm -hmm. taking, you know, protecting the football more, but they've gone four and three, a little better to be fair, but not all that much different. And I think, you know, I, I wrote about this a little bit today in my column. I, I think that the solution for the rest of the season, at the very least, for a team that is you know, still has very viable playoff hopes, not as much as they would have had with the win over the Raiders, but still a plausible path to the playoffs is just 
reduce Mac Jones's exposure as much as possible, have him be as little of the, the game as possible and hope that maybe you get the Bills in week 18 when they don't have anything to play for and they sit their starters and just try to win these two games against the Bengals and the Dolphins over the next two weeks. But it feels like if there's any way for this team to win over the next three weeks of the year, it's going to be play great defense, which obviously they have, run yep. the football and just hide Mac as much as they possibly can. Yeah, and obviously that's not great after you spend a first round pick on Mac Jones in, in 2021. And you know, it's not as it's not even as if they've got they're lacking talent on offense. They certainly don't have one of the best, you know, playmaking cores in the NFL beyond Ramondre Stevenson. Jacoby Myers is is a is a decent starting wide receiver. He, I think he's kind of proven this year that he might not be the number one that they need. Um but like Devontae Parker is fine. Kendrick Bourne is fine. Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith are fine. Like they've got the pieces in place to make this a, a decent offense. And yeah, it's it's the combination of Patricia and, and Mac Jones. And I think that you'd like to see Mac Jones kind of be unleashed and see what he can do. But I just don't think that he can do that within the structure of the offense. And I mean, it's, it is interesting because in some ways it's almost like better that they lost this game against the Raiders because now they probably won't make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. They'll improve their draft stock a little bit because like if this team makes the playoffs, they're not doing anything like they, <laughs> they cannot compete against good teams whatsoever. When you see what they're, what they're doing against, you know, keeping things close against the Cardinals and the Raiders and, you know, losing the Vikings, like they, they cannot compete against good teams this season. So it's probably in their best interest to lose and, and not make the playoffs, but Clearly, it's not in Bill Belichick's best interest at this point because you're already hearing rumblings around New England that, like, I don't know, could Robert Kraft like make a change at head coach? He's not happy with all these things, and like that sounds absurd that they could fire Bill Belichick. But obviously, Bill Belichick wants to keep improving his record as mm -hmm. much as possible in the post Tom Brady era because the more he loses, the more things look really bad for him after losing Brady. Yes. Absolutely. And I think even if he doesn't get fired, you know, I think there's the question of should Robert Kraft maybe push him or nudge him slightly to change things up a bit or, or, or bring in people. Maybe he wouldn't have done that in the past. So, yeah, I think that, you know, Bill Belichick is going to be fine. We're not going to think about these seasons too much 20 years from now when thinking about his legacy. But he's not showing up every week hoping to go seven and seven and lose to the Raiders on dramatic last second laterals plays gone horribly wrong so just out of surely not wasting his own time i think he wants this team to be competitive and they can still get in i mean if they win all three of their final games they're they're in they're they're, they're yeah. they control their destiny they have to beat three teams that maybe are better than them along the way to get there but uh who knows stranger things have there's a path there i i think that you know not to belabor this too much i i don't know how much hope there is even in 2023 for the Patriots like like not to not to get too negative here wow. but I mean there, there's not a, a great path to improving the wide receiver position which is something that they pretty drastically need to do mm. um I think that they've got pieces in place on offense but like it just feels like on this roster there's a lot of guys that they could just lose without I, I like there's a lot of guys that you don't need to keep around on this roster mm. right now um which is kind of unfortunate and I don't know, like if they do, if the, the best path to the Patriots being competitive in 2023, 2024, probably quite frankly is to like get Tom Brady in here. I think it's an unrealistic possibility. I don't see that happening, but 
I mean, I think that there do genuinely have to be questions after the season about whether or not Mac Jones is the guy. And if he's not, then, I mean, I don't know, Jimmy Garoppolo, I guess, Tom Brady. I, I think Jimmy Garoppolo would probably be a slight upgrade over over Mac Jones, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's it feels like there's there's more nine and eight, eight and nine, maybe ten and seven seasons coming for the Patriots after this as well. Can you imagine Jimmy Garoppolo going from Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk and Kyle Shanahan to uh, Hunter Henry, Kendrick Bourne, Devontae Parker? Uh, Tyquan Thornton, Ty Montgomery, Ramondre Stevenson, to be fair, and Matt Patricia as the offensive coordinator. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, I think that EPA per play might drop a little bit for <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo if he if he winds up in that situation. And well, I mean that that's also like Kendrick Bourne has been he's been completely forgotten this season. And yeah. like going into this year, it was like okay, well Kendrick Bourne is is around for two more years. That's great. Like. He's a building block. You don't want to trade someone away like that. Like, I think there's a genuine question about whether Kendrick Bourne's even on this team next year. And you could say the same thing about Devontae Parker, too. Like, probably they'll be on the team just because they're under contract. But, like, what have really either one of those guys done to guarantee a spot on the 2023 roster? And then Tyquan Thornton has struggled pretty mightily as a rookie. Maybe not struggled, but he's just not been involved at all. Mm-hmm. Um Nelson Aguilar is a free agent. Doubt he'll be back. Jacoby Myers is a free agent. I think he'll get paid somewhere else. Um, Damian Harris is a free agent. Like this team's going to look a lot different. And at least at wide receiver, like I was saying before, like there's Jacoby Myers is the best free agent wide receiver this season. And uh, yeah, maybe they spend another first round pick on a wide receiver this year, but they just as badly need a a first round left tackle. So unless they're going to be trading for a wide receiver and I've looked, there's not a lot of great possibilities to be trading for guys. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, th- this wide receiver core might actually legitimately look worse next season than it does this year. That's scary. Absolutely scary. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better with the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country. There is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8 S A V E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Well, Doug, we've talked about the Patriots. Let's talk about these snubs. I'm furious. So many players have been snubbed. Uh, I'm heated in the Pro Bowl. You are. I'm. I'm. I'm cheesed uh, about these Pro Bowl <laughs> snubs. I. But you know, like there are some curious choices. So I think we should yes. talk about them um, and talk about who we'd have to replace some of these guys. So I went out and just went through the AFC and NFC rosters, just did a bunch. Do you want to go position by position or conference by conference? What's easier for you? Um, either way works for me. I, I've okay. got a list here going. I, I could I can move around it. Okay, let's do conference then, because I did it by conference, and I'll be lazy. Uh, let's do AFC first. So, give me an AFC snub of yours in the Pro Bowl. Um, I I think that Xavier Howard should not have been yes. on the roster. Also on my list. So, and I it's it's name recognition. It's all those things, but Xavier Howard has also been 
probably one of the worst cornerbacks in the NFL this season. And it's been a tough for a tough season for him. He's had injuries. Um, you know, they haven't had Byron Jones, but like feeling bad for someone isn't a good reason to put them in the pro bowl. Uh, I think the player should be playing well. And like the pro bowl is typically a, like, what have you done for me lately type game, yep. or at least it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I personally would have put Stefan Gilmore in okay. over Xavier Howard. I think that there were other options on the AFC. There wasn't necessarily like a, a extremely obvious one um, to me, but Stefan Gilmore's allowed just two touchdowns, two interceptions, got eight uh, pass breakups. Whereas Xavier Howard, um, at least by PFFs charting has allowed the most yards at cornerback this season, uh, six touchdowns, just one interception. There's beyond the history of Xavier Howard being a good player. Mm-hmm. There's not a strong case for him to be in this game. Yeah, I went with Tyson Campbell um, yep. of the Jags coming in for Xavier Howard, second-year player. Like Jags defense has not been great, um, but he's played really well. You know, with a very limited pass rush, um, he's been asked to do a lot for the Jags, and I think he's uh, really a burgeoning player. So I agree with you, Xavier Howard. I mean, you know, the the recognition is there. I think it's been tough. There hasn't always been the great pass rush. It's gotten better since Bradley Chubb arrived in town, but I went with uh, Tyson Campbell there. Um, uh, I, I had Stefan Gilmore or Tyson Campbell, so we beautiful. are definitely on the same wavelength there. Beautiful. Okay, give me another AFC snub of yours. Michael Wenu. We just talked for yes. probably too long about the also New England Patriots. List. But, and I'd, I'd have him making it over Quentin Nelson. Uh, this is another one yes. where it's name recognition, the Colts offensive line, has been extremely bad this season, mm-hmm. and Nelson uh, Quentin Nelson has not, you know, ascended uh, above the rest of the group. Whereas for the New England Patriots, the offensive line has also been pretty poor this season. Yep. But Michael Wenu somehow is the only player who has not been affected by Matt Patricia's coaching and, <laughs> and the coaching changes that they've made and losing Carmen Brasillo and having Bill Yates out there and whatever the hell they're doing um, on the offensive line for the Patriots right now. But yeah, Michael Wenner's been great. He hasn't allowed a sack this season, uh, only eight pressures, whereas Quentin Nelson's allowed three sacks, 24 pressures. Um, Michael Wenu, the, the biggest question to me on Michael Wenu was like, why wasn't he starting last year? Because he's yes. been one of the ba- best Patriots offensive linemen for three years now. And for some reason last year, they were starting a bunch of guys over him, but he has been the only anchor on that offensive line for the Patriots this season. He's been one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL since he came into the league. And I feel like this is the year that he's really ascended to that, that top, top uh, spot. Mm-hmm. Yep. I have him on my list here, L- literally word for word, Mike and Wenu for Quentin Nelson. So <laughs> with you there, 100%, I'll give you two guys where I don't understand why they are on the team. And it's not because they're not good players, but because they got hurt for chunks mm. of the year. And I have Dolphins replacing both of them. I know I just took out Xavier Howard. Dolphins fans are furious. Hopefully <laughs> they haven't sent the tweet yet before they hear me add two Dolphins to the list. I have Jalen Wall coming in for Jamar Chase, who has missed several games with an injury this year. And I have Bradley Chubb, who's of course been playing with the Broncos and the Dolphins and playing at a high level for both. Coming in for TJ Watt, who Doug has played seven games this season. Yeah. How can I you was, be a Pro Bowl if you're playing half the year? I was definitely a bit surprised uh, by TJ Watt. Obviously, um, both of those with Jamar Chase and, and TJ Watt, they're among the most popular players in the sure. NFL. So maybe to some degree that plays a factor as well. But I mean, yeah, it's it's tough to you know, make the 
Pro Bowl club from the tub, I guess I would say, or at least it, it should be um, in the NFL. But yeah, I like both those picks. I would even consider, you know, I think that Alex Highsmith took over really well yeah. while, while uh, TJ Watt was out this season. So he's another one that I think that you could consider there putting in, like if you want to put a stealer in, then yes. I think that TJ Watt and that uh, Alex Highsmith has yep. certainly been absolutely uh, good enough. And yeah, I mean, th- there's so many good wide receivers in the NFL that giving that spot to Jamar Chase when he has been injured, it's it's probably like, yeah, you probably could have made a, a, a better choice there. Yeah, it just seems odd to me. Do you have any other AFC snubs? Um, yeah, I had one more, okay. and that was either Matt Milano or Tremaine Edmonds over Roquan Smith. I didn't mm-hmm. feel extremely strongly about these, but I think that Matt Milano is one of the most underrated players in the NFL. And just overall, I feel like both of those guys have been slightly better. Um, Roquan Smith went to the AFC halfway through the year. Yeah. Um, I don't think he was great with the Bears earlier this season. Uh, he's been certainly better with the with the Ravens. He's been making plays out there. But just as far as like overall defense, I feel like Matt Milano or Tremaine Edmonds have been better this entire season than Roquan Smith. Yeah, I, I I don't disagree with you. I think Smith was you know kind of stuck on a defense that was not necessarily like they, they were just holding on for dear life because of right. of cuts and so I, I don't think it's anything wrong with Roquan Smith. I think he's been better since joining the Ravens, but you know that's been only a few weeks now as opposed to the whole season for other players like Milano. I had two more in the AFC. Oh, okay. I have Trey Hendrickson coming out again because of injuries. He's missed two games. He's left a couple games hurt. Uh, he has six sacks. Four and a half of them have come in two games. I, obviously a great player, but has not been the sort of week-to-week monster he was a year ago. I have Jerry Hughes coming in for him. I think a guy who has been you know, under the radar, to say the least, in Houston, but a guy who I know NFL teams were interested in trading for because he had been so productive for a hopeless football team in the Texans ended up keeping him not sure if he wanted to stay because he's from the houston area and, and home but uh, i felt like he deserved the, the nod you know maybe he would get a he deserve or a you deserve it chant at the pro bowl if he <laughs> made it because has he made it before he's never made it before maybe this is wow. my just giving him a, a a lifetime appreciation award but a good player who has been really good for a very bad texans team and then i had orlando brown coming out at tackle for yep. the chiefs i had colton miller of the Raiders or Jamari Sawyer from the Chargers, who has filled in admirably for the injured Rashawn Slater. Um, I'm open to other ideas, but I just have not seen Orlando Brown be a consistently great tackle um, since joining the Chiefs last year or this year. I was trying to figure out a way to get Orlando Brown out as well. And yeah, Colton Miller was was kind of my top option in there. It was it was one of those things where like I don't think that Orlando Brown necessarily deserved to make it, but there wasn't that obvious choice like there was for other ones it was it was more to me about like less about a snub and more about all right does this player actually deserve to be in the pro bowl but yeah i'm i'm with you there on colton miller uh over over orlando brown it almost made the list it just didn't quite make the cut for me yeah i think that's fair um let's hit the nfc do you have give me give me an nfc snub of yours so my biggest one, and I I know this is a popular one. It's not anything new, but uh, Christian McCaffrey over Saquon yeah. Barkley. Uh, oh, wow. Christian Mc... Yes, over Saquon Barkley. Uh, so yeah. I know that there's other options in there, but 
McCaffrey, second among NFC NFC players, uh, first among, among NFC running backs in yards from scrimmage. And I don't think Saquon Barkley has been very good since the midseason. Yes. He had a very strong start to the season, but he's actually probably been, you know, as far as yards after contact go, as far as forced missed tackles go, he's been one of the worst running backs in, in the NFC and probably overall since about week eight, nine, 10, somewhere around there in midseason. Um, these are more PFF stats, but since week eight, he's averaging 2.08 yards after contact per carry. Mm-hmm. That is the lowest among all running backs with uh-huh. at least 36 carries. So I, I think that, you know, on the Giants hot streak, Saquon Barkley was a, a massive piece of that. He deserve, deserves a lot of credit for what he did for the first half of the season. But there was an entire second half of the season where he has he's just not been very good. And Christian McCaffrey's been a lot better. But I, I know that there are other running backs that you could take out for Christian McCaffrey as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I lean towards Miles Sanders, who's a very mm-hmm. good player, having a good year. But you know, the guys you mentioned, McCaffrey, Barkley, have significant passing game roles, or Sanders is kind of just a, a, a occasional screen or, or or check down, doesn't really have that role in the offense. And I think that's really valuable. You look at the EPA numbers and, you know, running backs who don't have those receiving roles just are not that significant when it comes to impacting games. So I, I think McCaffrey should be there. I think he could be there ahead of Barkley. I think he could be there ahead of Sanders. But yeah, I think that was a popular one and, and certainly warranted uh, as a popular selection. You have any other ones for NFC? Uh, yeah, I had a JC Horn over Trayvon Diggs. Yes. Uh, this was another one where um, there might have been some other cornerbacks that you could take out for JC Horn. But for Trayvon Diggs, like last year, I could understand it. He had, what, 11 interceptions on the season. Like he, when you're making that much of an impact, when you're turning over the ball or yeah. when you're getting that many takeaways, yeah, you, you deserve the credit. He's he's been playing more conservatively. It seems like this season he's only mm-hmm. let up three touchdowns, but only also has three interceptions this yep. season. Uh, Trayvon Diggs for the Cowboys, whereas J.C. Horn has allowed the lowest passer rating this season among cornerbacks, uh, among qualified cornerbacks. Three interceptions, zero touchdowns. Uh, there's a strong case to be made that he's one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL this year, and it was a pretty massive surprise given his pedigree. You know, given the fact that he was a first round pick. Um, that he didn't make it. I, I fully expected him to be on the team. Yeah, and, and certainly, you know, the Panthers are not exactly the highest profile team in football, whereas the Cowboys are perhaps yes. literally the highest profile team in football. And Diggs is a good player. Like, I think that sort of backlash to him being like, a, uh, actually, he's not good, even though he has all these interceptions. Like, he still made a lot of value with the interceptions last year. But um, he plays with probably the best pass rush in football or one of the two or three best pass rushes in football. And that helps. That makes his life a lot easier um, in terms of coverage. So uh, it's more about Horn being good than Diggs being bad to me. But I do think that Horn should have been on there. Um, One I had that I saw a lot of people bring up was Javon Hargrave from Mm -hmm. the Eagles, who has been just a force on the interior in their defensive tackle rotation, 10 sacks this year, 14 knockdowns, nine tackles for loss. Thought he would make it. Certainly the Eagles had, I think they had eight people on the list, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Could have had more. Um, I had him over Dexter Lawrence. Um, certainly Dexter Lawrence also having a good season, but I think Hargrave has been more productive as a pass rusher. Um, so I, I saw a lot of people with Hargrave on there. Certainly feel like he deserved a spot. Yeah, no, definitely deserves a spot. Um, Dexter Lawrence has also been 
yes, phenomenal this season. Uh, you know, the amount of pressures he's been able to get as a bigger nose tackle type body is extremely rare at that position. He he's doing things that you know players haven't done in the NFL over the last twenty years or so. But yeah, I mean, the Eagles' defense has been fantastic this season. Javon Hargraves has been. A big part of that. And I actually had another Eagles defender um, on my list, and that was Chauncey Gardner-Johnson mm-hmm. over Quandre Diggs. This is another situation where, you know, we were talking about players with injuries, maybe not deserving it. Uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson has also is also currently dealing with an injury. He's dealing with a lacerated kidney. We'll see when he's able to get back. But he had six interceptions over the first 12 weeks of the season, which still leads the NFL. Um, and I just felt like, you know, based on that impact that he was able to make early in the season um, to get that many takeaways, I didn't find as strong of a case to put Quandre Diggs on the uh, on the Pro Bowl. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that the biggest reason why Gardner Johnson didn't make it is the injury. Otherwise, it, it felt like he would have been an extremely popular pick for the Pro Bowl because they do seem to value, you know, takeaways, and interceptions and and those big stats quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any other NFC snubs for you? Uh, my final one, uh, would have been Bobby Wagner over Demario Davis. Mm-hmm. I, this was another one kind of similar to Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds over Roquan Smith, where like, I didn't feel that strongly about it, but, um, they had pretty similar pressure rates. I think Bobby Wagner has been better in run defense, better in coverage, but Demario Davis has like has the sack numbers, which I think that that goes back to. This is typically what the Pro Bowl values is those big numbers. I think Demario Davis has like seven or eight sacks or something this season, which is pretty rare for a linebacker. Obviously, there's a lot of value in that, but if you're talking about just a better overall player, bigger impact maker, I think that that's been Bobby Wagner on obviously a Rams team that's not very good, but it's not as if Demario Davis as Saints are, are lighting up the NFL either. That's true. Both both teams struggling this year for sure. I had um, one wide receiver change, and I feel bad because I think Terry McLaurin's an awesome player and deserves yeah. recognition, but I had Chris Olave ahead uh, of Terry McLaurin, and I think it's not a big difference to me. Certainly you could have McLaurin and, and there'd be no issues. Um, he's been really good not a great quarterback, has had to be the focal point of the offense. But you could say the same things about Olave, and I think he's mm-hmm. been more consistent. He missed a game last week. He's probably going to miss this week as well. So that could be, you know, the difference as we get to week 18. But as we're sitting here right now, I mean, Olave's number is a little worse, but better on a per route basis. Um, one of the best receivers in football on a route by route basis in terms of yards per route run. And you know, I, I think they're both going to make two more Pro Bowls by the time their careers are over, but I lean slightly towards Alave there. I was actually also trying to figure out maybe how to get Terry McLaurin out of the game. I mean, and it, that's nothing against him. Like you said, he's a good player. Um, but I, I was I was looking at Chris Alave. I was also looking at another player who's missed one game and missed some, uh, had some struggles with injuries early in the season. That was Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, you know, doesn't necessarily have it looked like basically that the NFL just wanted to put in all the thousand yard receivers into the pro bowl, which mm-hmm. is maybe kind of short sighted because all these guys have a thousand yards right now, but there's a very good possibility that someone like Chris Olave or Amon Rice St. Brown will finish the season with significantly better raw numbers than Terry McLaurin. And I just think that, you know, for what the lions offense is doing this season with the conservative approach that they've taken since midseason. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of playing to some of Jared Goff's strengths and without Amon Ross St. Brown in that offense, 
I don't think that they are seven and seven right now. I don't think that they have that same turnaround. So just purely based on which player has been more impactful, I'd put Amon Ross St. Brown over Terry McLaurin. I'd probably put Chris Olave over Terry McLaurin as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those are both fair. Um, so that that's your last one? That's my last one, I, I guess. Yeah, I think that that was my last one. Um, yeah, I... I, for the most part, I thought I thought that the NFL did a pretty good job with this because it's not like any of these are excessively glaring. I mm-hmm. think that for me, uh, I'm curious to hear what your what maybe your biggest snub was. I think my biggest snub was probably Owenu over Quentin Nelson. Yeah, me too. Um, that that leaned towards me. I think T.J. Watt not being on there was the opposite of a snub. Whatever the opposite of a snub is, <laughs> right. he should not be on there. But it wasn't like there was a incredible pass rusher on the edge left out because so many pass rushers, six pass rushers, really make it to both rosters between defensive end and outside linebacker. So I, I think Chubb should have been on there, but certainly Quentin Nelson has not been at his prior level of play. And I think Onwenu uh, was a really obvious addition. So yeah, I'm with you on that. It, it, it was interesting to me that it felt like there was actually just as much interest in the Pro Bowl rosters in snubs and all of these things, despite the fact that there won't actually be a game this season. And I'm I'm not I'm not guaranteeing that I'm going to be watching uh the, the skills competitions, but I'm at least curious to see what they look like. Um and I haven't read up a whole lot on it, but like obviously I think that we kind of know what quarterback skills competitions will look like. Yep. But some of the other positions could actually be kind of fun this year as well. Yes, absolutely. I will be more inclined to watch it than I was in years past. I believe it's an ESPN property, so I shouldn't say I, I I've I've always watched it. I will just pay, of course. I'll pay even closer attention this year. I'll be even more wrapped watching and taking notes and and doing the analytics for the Pro Bowl competition this year. Uh, but Doug, until the Pro Bowl, we'll have you back on to do a exhaustive uh, Pro Bowl recap. But before then, <laughs> where can people check out uh, your new podcast? Uh, yeah, you can check it out wherever you find podcasts. Uh, Pat's Chat Podcast, as you mentioned, that's with. Michael Hurley, we're doing it every Friday and then after every game. Uh, we'll see what that looks like with this game being on Christmas Eve. Doesn't make podcast recording extremely easy, but I think it'll be Friday and Monday. Um, but yeah, also just follow me on Twitter at Doug Kide. I'll be posting all the links there. And I've been uh, doing some work for the analyst.com uh, for Opta Analyst. Wrote about the Lions today. I think I might be writing about the uh, the 2020 NFL draft class at, at quarterback as well later this week. So uh, check out that stuff as well. Awesome. Doug, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Bill. Thanks so much to my friend Doug Kai, who does excellent work all over the internet, breaking down the NFL. Definitely check out the Patch Chat podcast as well. We have off next week. Uh, we'll be, I'll be traveling. I guess we, I'm the, the only person talking on the show. Uh, I will be traveling for the holidays. Hope you guys have a great holiday, no matter what you're celebrating, no matter where, where you're celebrating it. Hope you guys enjoy the Saturday slate, the full full slate of games on Saturday. It'll be a little weird, but hope you guys enjoy that. I will be as someone who has to write after the games. It'll be much easier to write on Saturday than on Sunday. But until the new year, I believe, will be the next time I speak to you. Thanks so much for listening this year. Really appreciate it all the people who check out this podcast every week. Uh, it's incredible to me that people do listen and enjoy it. Um, my guests are great. Not I'm saying for me, but you get the idea. Thanks so much for listening and more audio coming after the new year.